Good morning, church. Um, today's reading is from 1 John chapter 4 verse, 4, verse 7 to 12. The page number is 1227. So I'll give you some time to find the correct page and on your phone as well. going to start now. Dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen. Thank you very much, David. Do uh, keep that passage open or switched on in front of you. We'll be looking at it for the next few minutes. And I'm just going to pray for us as we do that. So let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the way that you love us. We often struggle to understand and grasp and dwell in that love you have for us. And we need the help of your Holy Spirit. So we pray for his help this morning. We pray for his active work filling us and changing us and really showing us what you're like. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders of the church here. I'll be uh, opening up this passage, 1 John, for, for us for the next few minutes together. Now, if you are new or visiting our church today, there's one thing I always want to be clear about when anyone comes to visit Christ Church Liverpool, and that is this. And I hope no one who's a regular here is offended by this. But nobody here is perfect. We really do not think that we are better than anyone else. And we actually believe that the heart of being a Christian, the centre of being a Christian, is not trying to be good, but admitting that you're not good. That's it. That's the thing we do to be Christians. Now, if you're visiting, you might notice lots of people here have nice faces and smiley and they're very friendly and they're very nice to be with. And that's true. You know, I like hanging out with people here. But the truth is, like any group of people you come across, those of us here bring pain. We bring to this community ways that people have hurt us. We bring our mental health problems. We bring our own bad choices, our desires, our addictions or want to be admired and praised by other people. We bring all of that with us here. As someone once said, the church is a hospital for sinners. And that can create some problems. The type of community that Christians are called to be, where you know you actually know each other, and as we were thinking about the kids' talk, you actually love each other, but it's a bunch of broken people doing that, some of whom have really big problems. Well, sometimes it's a little bit messy. Some of the people here, maybe most of the people here, are going to be, on occasion, hard to love. 
And the hard call of the Bible is to love people when they're hard to love. Now, there are people, I guess, Christians out there, who will tell you, no, 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 don't worry, it's not your responsibility to look out for toxic people. You draw boundaries around yourself, what you feel comfortable with. You don't have to take responsibility for other people's broken mess. Keep them out so you can reach your full potential. And John, in this letter to this young church, has been helping them work out true and false versions of Christianity, what's true and what's not. And he's been saying the true version is life-transforming, and in this bit he's saying at least part of the true, real Christian faith is that it transforms you to love people, not to keep them out. And it must do that because, he says, God is love. So God has no toxic people. He doesn't view anybody that way that they have to be kept out. You know, this community exists to broadcast the message far and wide that no one is beyond being loved by God. Nobody at all in the world. And I don't get to say that, but then say, oh, I drop difficult people myself, though, because they're tiring and difficult and they're limiting my potential. Now, undoubtedly, John says, you'll be able to find a, a false version that says, no, no, don't bother loving. Just have a personal spirituality. But John says that's not true. He says in the first verse of our passage, love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. That's the mark of the real deal. And he's unapologetically wide, wide in saying that that call of love is upon us. Because he says, Christians have infinite resources and a perfect motivation to love people like that. His call here in this passage, actually, is not mainly to call us to love like God, although he does say that, and we'll get to that. But long before that, he's saying, dive in and enjoy and dwell in and be assured of God's love for you. And then it's almost an afterthought to say the transforming power of that is that you love other people. So, first thing we're going to see, it's the longest thing, infinite love. Now, I suspect given all the weddings that had to be postponed or cancelled from the last two years, next summer is going to be the summer of weddings. I don't know whether you've had that stage in your life yet. Lots of us have had it, and lots of us have it coming, where every weekend of July and August is going to a wedding. You're like, oh, right, this suit still has last week's soup stain on it. Never mind. Hello, other random group of university acquaintances. Nice to see you again. Here we are all again, dancing to YMCA. Haha, <laughs> isn't it fun? Or even worse, the terrifying words to see in a wedding invitation, barn dance. So if it's wedding summer next summer, then this winter is going to be proposal winter, I guess. So I'm going to give some tips for that if any of you are planning one of those. Here's some romantic advice from me. Don't propose via WhatsApp. <laughs> I know this generation is nervous of in-personal social engagement, but still, do not propose using a direct message. Why not? Because the words are the same. 
Words are the same whether you say them in person or put them in message, will you marry me? Well, we know that's a stupid thing to do, don't we? Because some messages are relational. They're only believable relationally if they're delivered in person. Well, that's what the Bible is saying here about Jesus. The Bible says about God, God is love. That's not just a way of saying like God's really, really good at loving. It's saying God is in himself a relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is love and has always loved. And God is love. And he says in verse 9, God give us life. But God could have given us life anyway that he wanted to. Couldn't he mean God's God? He could have just said, have life. He could have said, thank you. But God sent his son into the world as a human being so we might live through him. Why did he do it that way? So his love can be seen. God didn't DM us life. You know, here it is. Take it away. He sent his only son into the world who felt all the pain that we fare, who, who shares in our brokenness. Why doesn't God just give us something? Because God doesn't just want to give us something. He wants you to know that he loves you. And so he comes to us in a form of a person. I don't know about you, it's not enough for me to trust God to, uh, to know, uh, it's not enough for me to trust God to just be given a gift by God. If I'm going to trust God with my life, I actually need to know he loves me. And so John says, God showed us he loved us, not just by giving us life, but by coming to us as a person. Often, when we're not sure if someone really likes us or loves us or whatever, what we're really asking is, can I risk this? You know, can I risk telling them the truth about myself? Can I risk moving to this place to be with them? Can I risk that? And if you know you're loved, you're able to take the risk. And that's what John is saying about Jesus. It's not enough to be given the life God wants to give us. God, at his own cost, wants you today to know he really loves you and people like you. And so he didn't just send us a message. He came to us as a person. But love is a pretty cheap word. Because we've been talking about uh, love, and also I've been watching TV, those of us who are regulars at church will you know I'm very obsessed with this TV programme, Married at First Sight. Um, I'm not recommending it as high quality TV, just to be clear, only as uh, good for talk illustrations. And one of the things they're always saying about a marriage first sight is, uh, it's about couples who marry when they've never met, is like, have you said, drop the L-bomb? which basically means, have you said to each other you love each other yet? And what that basically seems to mean is, um, when I say I love you, it means you're making me feel good for a while. You know, I get a feeling when you're with me, but it seems to pass very quickly and doesn't really seem to lead to much commitment. You might have been in that situation or one like it where someone said they loved you, but what they actually meant was 
I sometimes love the way I feel when I'm with you. We live in a world where love is fickle and passing it. It just means the way I'm feeling at the moment. But God wants you to know that's not what he means. He sent his son, not a DM, to give you life. But what does he mean when he says love? Well, John defines it, defines it so we'll know. Verse 10, this is love. See, there's three parts of it. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us. I wonder how you got that. Today, God's care for you, his concern for you, his wishing the best for you, his working for your good, his love for you does not depend on what you have done. It is not that we love God. He loved us. Today, his steady working good for you, giving life to you, being in your life and caring for you doesn't come and go depending on how well you're doing. It doesn't come and go depending on how well you're doing. His heart for you comes from him, not from you. I sense in our church family, there's lots of us just not enjoying that the way that we could be. It is not that, he lo- that we loved him, it's that he loved us. You know, when you talk to people about, like, are we loving each other well, people very quickly say, yeah, I'm rubbish at loving other people. Yes. God is not waiting for you to love other people before he loves you. God can transform you through his infinite resources, him loving you does not depend on you being good and loving. This week I've been discussing uh, what do we think God thinks about us? When you sin in that way that you know you shouldn't again, whatever it is for you that keeps drawing you back in, for lots of us, we don't go back to God. We don't go to God for help with that thing we keep getting wrong. Because we think somehow his love for us has changed because we've behaved in that way. We have a suspicion that God's love and acceptance and heart for us, it changes when we don't do very well. We're used to the L-bomb view of love. It disappears very quickly. But that is not the love that John is talking about. We live in confidence that we are loved by God, whatever we are like. It is not that we love God, but he loved us. Second thing we see about God's love, he sent his son. In my quiz earlier, which I'm sure you uh, agreed is an excellent piece of work, even the children could see that love needs to be shown in action. That's what love is. And the better the thing you're willing to share, the greater the love is that you have for the person. Well, God sent his son because that is how he loved us. I think it's very vague, isn't it, and hard to get your head around the idea that God loves you. 
And what John's saying here is, it is kind of hard to get your head around that. That truth can only be grasped and known and accepted and enjoyed if you think Jesus, the physical person, was sent into the world as God's son to save us. That is the gateway to knowing you're loved by God. There's the words, God loves us, don't mean anything without that sense that Jesus is God's son. Lots of us, I think, probably feel day to day like, I just don't really feel God's love. And that might be because you have a bit too much God talk in your head and not enough Jesus talk. God's doing this, I have a relationship with God. All of that's true. But our fellowship is with, Father, is with the Father God, but we know God's love. We know he loves us through Jesus when we get to know him. That's why we, at the end of this talk, we're going to share in communion together. It draws us to see Jesus work for us. That's how we know we're loved by God. Third thing about what love is, Jesus was an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, if you're a Christian, you're used to that language. If you're not, you might think this is a bit rude. Here is God saying he loves us. And in a verse, it's saying he loves us. He's using this very loaded word, sins. He's saying, I love you so much, I dealt with the fact you're a really bad person. It's not the love we're used to, is it? Seems a bit rude, confronting. But true love says... Your sin problem, your rejecting God problem is real. Let's do something about it. Let's do what's possible to make repenting, turning away from sin, changing possible. Let's do what it takes. Let me give you an illustration of this for a moment. Imagine on this wall over here, please don't do this, we'll get into terrible trouble. But imagine on this wall over here, someone graffitis something very rude about me. I don't know, like, Morris is Scottish or something. (laughs) And uh, I'm cut to the heart by this terrible insult. And so you graffiti that about me up there, and then you realise what a horrible thing to do, what a terrible slur to put in someone. And so you go and uh, paint over it again, wipe it off, all sorted. Well, in a sense, that is cleaned up. But there's still a problem between me and you, isn't there? There's still pain you've caused me by behaving in that way. Now, when that's the case, I have a choice. I could demand you deal with my anger in some way. Say, okay, give me some chocolate or something like that. Or I can swallow it, deal with it myself, take the cost of your bad action into me. I bear the cost of it. But that's what John's talking about here with the beauty of God's love here. We've offended him. We've taken his world. We've ruined it. But not only does he bend down and clean us up, clean up the mess we've made and change us, he takes all the anger, all the hurt, all the way we've offended him. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes that into himself. He pays for it himself. I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it, when you think how much we struggle to do that, even about little things. You know, someone snubs us or ignores us or says they'll meet us and they forget or whatever it is. And we, like, worry over it and we make them pay for it and we push them out and we say, I don't want you anymore because you've treated me that way. Then you think of the massive way we've done that to God. 
and how much he's willing to take that on himself by Jesus dying for us. As John says, this is love, isn't it? I mean, as I was studying this week, I find myself thinking, can it be true? Can it be true that we are loved without any question of how worthy we are in a real historical way through the beautiful person of Jesus who has taken on himself every single last bit of offence we've given God? Is it possible there can be a God in heaven who's like that? It is, Jesus shows us. It's not only possible, it's true. This infinitely glorious, endless love we enjoy. And most of this passage is saying, just breathe it in. Just enjoy being loved like that. Just know or seek knowledge that God loves you that way. Because remember, God showed it. Because he wants us to know it. Much more briefly, two other things John says. Infinite love means you should love. We've been watching this TV programme recently, Show Trial. I don't know if anyone's been watching that. This person who's accused of a crime, she's like a sort of spoilt rich girl. And uh, lots of people at the start of it are like, we, she's got everything, she's had everything. Why is she so horrible to everyone else? And then, of course, what it's revealed is that, in fact... The dad who's given her everything is actually really horrible and evil and not kind to her at all. That has to be that story because people who receive love and care and, you know, nice stuff from their families particularly, we find it hard to understand if they then don't show that to others. So the plot has got to be her dad's actually nasty to explain why she's nasty. It seems unexplainable if someone really is loved and then consistently treats others badly. Without telling people off or berating them or anything, we can see that that's true. Well, that is the nature of what John says here in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's not a telling off there. It's not like I'm ordering you like a teacher or a boss. He's just saying, since we've been loved like that, wouldn't it be right if we love one another like that? with the same marks that we love others first before they love us, that we give important stuff away for the sake of other people like God did, and we face up to and take the cost of other people's sin. There are some people listening to this thinking, yes, I'm glad this sermon is being preached. The church ought to be better at loving me. I can't wait to find the pastor afterwards and tell him all the ways that this is not true of this church we're in and present my list of how everybody should love me better. Maybe you're sitting here thinking about somebody and thinking, I hope they're listening so they know how to love me more. It won't be surprising to me or any other staff members or people in the church to discover someone's loved you badly. I live every day needing the truth that God loves me before I love other people because my loving other people is so weak. My security is in God's love for me. 
But do you see, the mark of love that should be forming in us here is that we love other people before they love us. We don't wait for someone else to love us. We have all been loved by God first. There's a great dignity to this, actually. Anyone here who is a Christian, no matter how damaged or into yourself or alone you feel, God resources you through his love for you to call other people first. You have that resource, whoever you are. So if you don't feel like other people are loving you, that's sad. I hope it changes. I'm not saying it's okay. But that's not related. It's a separate issue to your choice to love. Because you've been loved by God. See what he says. Let us love one another. He's like, let's all start today drawing from the balance in God's bank account in order to love other people. And practically, it does like God admitting the people you're loving are sinners. So it's not surprising. They're not super good at loving you. There are very broken people here with all sorts of challenges and difficulties. But there is not one person who can't start loving others now through resources that come through Jesus. And in fact, it's stronger than that. Who ought to start loving other people now? Because you've been loved that way by Jesus. There are other people here who wonder whether this is just a license for needy and messed up people to keep draining everybody all the time. We love like God at our own cost. Is it true then, to come back to what I talked about at the start, you just have to let like toxic messed up people ruin your life? Is that what we have to do? Just remember if you're feeling like that, God's rude love. God names our sin and bears the cost. All the cost is paid by him, but not just so that we can go on the same way, so we can turn away from wrong things. So we don't push toxic people, whoever they are, out because we're tired of them or we want to feel safe or whatever, because God doesn't do that. But relationships of love that are marked like God's love will involve confronting people who are getting things wrong and calling them to change. Now I get you, that's a cost, taking on that role in someone else's life to say you're behaving in this way and it isn't right. And like God saying, I'll bear the cost of it, but you need to know it's wrong, there's a big cost there. But that's, I think, the answer to how we deal with people who seem to just drain and take all the time. And it is let us love, so you can't confront uh, people by yourself, we do it together. And just remember, you can't confront anybody about anything that Jesus hasn't already paid for. I just want to be super clear, if you're experiencing abuse of some sort, there's no call here to be quiet and put up with it. That is not the love that is being talked about here. Let us not you by yourself. Love that abusing person by you seeking help and other people confronting the truth. Remember, nothing can be brought out that's not covered by Jesus. But just as God's love never covers up sin, 
we must be committed to not doing that either. Those are two extreme reactions to this, I guess, the implications. is much more day-to-day than that. We're so loved by Jesus, let's live out the real message and love other people that way. Love people who don't love us back, do it in ways that cost us, give my time or my energy, do it the ways that takes the cost of their bad behaviour onto me instead of shutting them out. It's just a day-to-day, much more normal thing, isn't it? In our church family, I think the reason that most of us find it hard to get on with this is because we've basically built a life already that doesn't leave us any room to love people this way. We've decided ourselves where and how to live and the life that we want, and then we think, oh, right, I don't actually have time to love anybody. I can't fit it in. And love involves making a different choice about how much we have and paying that cost in order to bring other people in. We limit how much we achieve and how much self-care we have. We make room for other people, which is a loss. But here, the way John says it, he's saying, dear friends, I'm not telling you off, I'm just saying, oh, given we've been loved so much, wouldn't you like to make room to love like that too? And the last thing he says is a grand motivation to get us to make that space. Here's the last thing we see. Infinite love means you should love so that God can be seen. John, who wrote this letter, actually wrote a biography of Jesus as well. And in his biography of Jesus, he says, no one has ever seen God, but now you can see God through Jesus. Here he uses that same phrase again, no one has ever seen God. But he finishes the sentence differently. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, people who trust Jesus, God lives in us. That's where God can now be seen. More punchy even than that, he says, God's love is made complete, is perfected in us. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? You sort of think if anything is complete or perfect already, surely it's God's love. But here is the offer of this whole passage. It's saying when we enjoy the deep and satisfying love of God and we let that authentic message shape us and change us and we enjoy it, even if that means rearranging our life and losing something and putting up and helping some sinful people, if we do that, the very purpose of God loving us is completed, creating a community. That's the reason God loves you so much today. That's the end point. Not just so you can dwell in it, but so something amazing is formed. It's perfected. It's completed when we do that. And no one has ever seen God. But they'll get a very good sense of what he's like. The end point of it all is a community. I want to finish by saying I've been talking to several friends of mine recently who are church leaders and lots of them are telling me the same story. They're saying, this is actually true in our church too, um, so to encourage you, they're telling me that people are joining different communities of their church from other communities that assume the church is against them. So people who think, well, Christians wouldn't be interested in me. 
and they've been drawn in by the way people love them. And lots of people have told me this. They've said, out there, people really affirm my choices and tell me that my choices are right. But in here, even though you don't affirm my choices, this is the place I really feel like you actually care about me. Isn't that amazing? No one has ever seen God. But if we love, God lives in us. And isn't that God-like love? God-like love that says... I don't affirm choices you're making, but I love you, the person. Isn't that the very Jesus-like love that's defined in 1 John 4? Do we want God to live in us that way? Well, to help us with that, we're going to take communion together. And that is one of the ways God gives us to really let this truth about how God loves us like settle into us become part of us we literally eat and drink it so it becomes part of us let's pray before we do that together we thank you heavenly father for this love that jesus shows to us we can't believe it's true that we're loved this way and yet we should believe it because you've shown it in history in the physical person of jesus And how we pray, therefore, that will shape us to be a community where we say, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And I pray now as we take bread and drink wine, we'll so enjoy your love settling in us that it overflows to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.